Hey, this is Dr. Jim Cox, and this is December the 11th, 2023. And uh, first hour, we took a look at Christmas and prophecy, looked at 15 prophecies that were out of Jesus' control as evidence that he fulfilled those as uh, being having the pedigree of being the Messiah. And we also looked at uh, all the things that were in place for in the fullness of time when he arrived. So we're going to go back now to the book, Basic Bible Prophecy, and we're going to start uh, in chapter 17. And I'm going to read the introduction that he has in here because it describes what, what we're going to do. So on page uh, 197 of the book, Basic Bible Prophecy, Ron Rhodes writes this. He says, I believe there are three primary answers to this question. God gives us end time prophecies to one, motivate us to live expectantly, two, motivate us to live righteously, and three, motivate us to live with an eternal perspective. Each of these is important. I will devote an entire chapter to each as we explore what scripture says about them. Uh, it says, many prophecies addressed in this book could potentially fuel our sense of expectancy of the future, for the future, but three are especially relevant. The rapture is imminent. We will be with Christ following the moment of death, and our raptured and resurrected bodies will be awesome. I agree with that. And we've talked about this before. Um, in fact, you have a handout number 43 that deals with the eminency of Christ, number 43. So if you want to go back, take a look at that, you can. And so by the word eminent, we mean that there's nothing prophetically that has to happen for Jesus to return. That there's no stipulations. And Paul believed this. Let's look at a couple of passages here where he talks about the rapture and notice in these passages when he says we, that meant he was including himself. So first of all, 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 through 18. I'm sure you're familiar with these. It says, but we do not want you to be uninformed brothers about those who are asleep, that is, have died, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him, Jesus, those who had fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, notice he says, we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And we who are alive, who are left will, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. It was very apparent then when he wrote this to the Thessalonians, and he talked about the coming of the Lord, that he could be included. That he would be part of this group raptured and taken to heaven to meet the Lord in the air. Let me read 1 Corinthians 15, verses 50 through 52. Another uh, rapture passage. It says, I, and again, listen for we here. It says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. 
We shall not, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trump will sound and the dead will be raised in perish, but we shall be changed. And I believe that Paul thought he could be in that raptured group. So by imminent, we mean that Jesus can come at any time. We call that the rapture. Remember that our position that we take, a pre-trib, pre-mill type of position, is the only position that says that Jesus can come at any time, that he's imminent. If you take a pre, or excuse me, a mid-tribulation view, you believe that you have to go three and a half years through the tribulation before Jesus can return. If you take a pre-wrath view, you believe that you have to go three quarters away through the tribulation before Jesus can return. If you take a post-trib view, you believe that you have to go through the whole tribulation before Jesus can return. We don't believe that. We believe that we have evidence. In fact, when Jesus talked to his disciples in John 14, he says, little children, do not be afraid. You believe God, believe also me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. And when I come again, I will take you where I am, you, that you may be also. And there was no conditions in there about what would have to happen before he would come again and take them to himself. So in all three passages that we have that refer to the rapture, John 14, 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 Corinthians 15, there are no conditions there. In fact, Paul includes himself as we. So we believe that that can occur at any time. A few more verses here that he cites is Romans 3, 11 through 12. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake up from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. He thinks it could happen at any time, Paul. He wrote that. 1 Corinthians 1.7 says that you are not lacking in any spiritual gifts as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 3.20, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we wait a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews 9.28, so Christ having been offered once to bear the sins of many will appear a second time not to deal with sin but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. And 1 Thessalonians 1.10 says, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. So, I totally believe that the rapture can happen, can happen any time. Nothing in scripture that has to occur before that occurs. In fact, I think about it this way. We're looking at things now that are leading to the tribulation. So when we look at things mentioned in the tribulation, we can see the signs of it already. And if the tribulation occurs later, and the rapture occurs sooner, and we're seeing already the things that are happening leading into the tribulation, it means the rapture must be pretty close. <coughs> Follow that logic? Rapture must be very close. So it can happen any time. All right, let's go on to the next point here. Yes. Question. So, Let's how can they, people who believe in <laughs> mid-tribulation, yeah. post-trib, look right. at 
Yeah. So, so your question is, how can, how do people that have the mid-trib view and the post-trib view, how do they come up that view, given that scriptures are so clear that we're rescued for the wrath to come? And I think my answer to that is that they don't take things literally. They don't read it for what it says. And, and sometimes they read into the scriptures what, what's not there. And somehow people think that we haven't, somehow we still need to be purified as Christians, that we haven't had tribulation enough here, that somehow during the tribulation period we have to be further purified in some way. And, you know, when we're looking at the different churches, and we get to the Church of Philadelphia, which some people represents the true church on earth. It says in, in uh, Philip, or, uh, Revelation 3, verse 10, it says that uh, God will save us from the trial that involved the whole earth. He'll save us from that time. And so there's a lot of evidence that the tribulation is not for the church. And when they arrive at the view of a mid-trib or a partial tribulation or a po post, I don't think there's much evidence, to be honest about it. I look at it and it's hard for me to justify how they come up with their views. Uh, I really don't see it in, in the scripture. And Jesus said we would not be able to tell when he's coming, but if you took a mid-trib position, you'd say, well, three and a half years, right? And if, if you took a post-trib, you'd say, well, in seven years. And so I don't think there's good scriptural evidence. I would, I would be hard for me to sit down and try to convince you that a mid-trib position is right. Because I know too much scripture opposite it. I, you know, as we talked about before, when the, when the 70 weeks prophecy is given, it starts out with, Daniel, this is for your people and your holy city. It's not for the church. And then he describes the seven years, and the seven years is for God to bring Israel back to himself. It's part of Israel's plan that they would have a kingdom on earth and all their promises would be fulfilled. And God's going to accomplish that through the seven years of the tribulation. Yes, he's going to punish the ungodly. He's held back his wrath all this time. That's going to happen. He's going to save a lot of people that are there in the tribulation as well. So those are three main purposes of the tribulation, but it's not for the church. We don't see the church at all. And by the way, we have a handout, I forget which one, that deals with the pre-trib and all the evidence why we take a pre-trib. But one evidence is that you look at Revelation, once you get past the church in chapters 2 and 3, there's no mention of the church at all during the whole tribulation through chapter 19. Or through chapter 18, I should say. Until Jesus returns at, in, in chapter 19. So, if you ask me why they take those other positions, I can't give you a good answer because I don't think there is for good evidence. To me, it's pretty clear. Yeah, it's pretty clear, yeah. That we're not under God's wrath anymore. In fact, in, in Romans 5.1, it says where we have peace with God. 
no longer under wrath. Ron, question? Right. Right. So you're looking at uh, Revelation, I think it's 1, verse 19. And it says, the things that were, the things that are, and then the things that will be. And chapter 1, we had the things that were. 2 and 3, we had the things that, that are. And from after that, in chapters 4 through the end of the book, are things that will be. Isn't that Revelation 119? Yes. Yeah. 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 Saying that's. Right. So there's the division of Revelation right there. Chapter 1, chapter 2 and 3, and then from 4 through the end of the, end of the uh, book of Revelation. Very good. What's that? <laughs> okay. So let's go on here. It says his next point here is so uh, we will be with Christ following the moment of death. So, uh, so the first part of this was that Christ can come at any time, and the next point he makes is that we'll be with Christ following the moment of death, and and of course Paul believed that absent from the body is to be present with Christ. He says in Second Corinthians. 5, 8. But let me read the other verses here that he cites. 1 Peter 2, 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which weighs war against your soul. He cited that? 1 Peter 2, 11. Oh, he's talking about soul and spirit. Okay, I forgot. He cites a few verses to show that the body is separate from the soul and spirit. Is the soul and spirit are one the same? And and so the body can remain, but the soul and spirit leave. It's just like in when we read First Thessalonians four, and it says he starts out by saying, um, "For I do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep." He says he says, "For we believe that Jesus died." And rose again. Even so, through Jesus, God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep. What does He mean by that? Their souls and spirits. So when Jesus returns, He takes their souls and spirits and brings them with Him to be reunited with their their bodies. That's what it says in First Thessalonians four. And so, just read the first few verses there, and you can see that. So He's just making a point. James 2.26, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so faith apart from works is dead. So body apart from the spirit. Uh, Genesis 3.35.18, and as her soul was departing, for she was dying, she called his name Benoni, but his father called him Benjamin. Talking about Sarah there. Second uh, Corinthians 5.8 gets into being present with the Lord. Yes, we are good courage, and we would rather be away from the body than at home with the Lord. Philippians 1.21-23, For me to live is Christ and die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. 
Paul looked forward to meeting his Savior. And killing was not a threat to Paul. You can't threaten me with heaven, right? He knew that if he died, he'd be with, with his Lord. In 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 4, he refers to this verse a few times. For we know that if the tent, which is our earthly home, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to be put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Some people use that to, with the belief that we would have an intermediate body. We would not be naked, but we'd always have some type of inter intermediate body until we get our glorified bodies. In Ecclesiastes 12:7, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Luke 23:46, and Jesus calling out with a loud voice said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Acts 7:59, and as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And 2 Corinthians 12, 2 and 3. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And 1 Corinthians 2.9, which is one of my favorite verses, says, But as is written, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those that love him. So. So, so we know and believe that when we pass from this life that we don't die, our spirit or soul goes to be with, directly with the Lord. And then when He returns in the rapture, He brings those that have died, their spirit and soul with them, back with them. And that's what it says in 1 Thessalonians 4. That when He comes, He brings with those it says that have fallen asleep. That is their soul. And their bodies, their soul and spirit are reunited, reunited with their bodies in a glorified body. Now, he goes on here. I'm going to look at my time here. But he goes on here and he talks about our heavenly habitat on page 200. Page 200, and he has a table there. And he has the heavenly country. Hebrews 11, 13 through 15, he says, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had an opportunity to return. So he talks about those that died in faith looking forward to another home, not the home on earth. And then Revelation 21, 1 and 2, the holy city. Then I saw a new heaven, a new earth. For the first heaven, the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God prepared for, as a bride adorned for her husband. So we studied this already. There's going to be a holy city for us to, to uh, re recite in.
And then 2 Peter 3.13, but according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. So a home of righteousness. And then a kingdom of light, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. And it's a paradise of God. Revelation 2.7 says, He who has an ear, let me hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to the one who conquers, I will grant, to eat the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So a future habitation is called paradise. And of course, uh, he says the New Jerusalem, I won't read that one, we looked at that one before, but the New Jerusalem describes the walls and the gates and so forth, and the, and the gates had the name of the 12 tribes, the son of Israel, and the foundations had the apostles of the Lamb on it. And then we will be resurrected with awesome bodies. And 1 Corinthians 15, 42 through 43 says, So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable, it is sown in dishonor, is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, is raised in power. So we're going to have powerful bodies. And First uh, Corinthians 15, 53 and 54 says, For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on the immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. All right, so that pretty much ends chapter 17, where it talks about we'll be resurrected with awesome bodies and a glorified body. And uh, so rapture is imminent. We'll be with Christ following the moment of death, and we will one day receive awesome glorified bodies. No back pain. Yay. Yay. Fred, you can relate to that too, right? <laughs> Next year will be 20 years with my back problems. 20 years. So, Lord, you can let me know. But when I get there, I probably won't even ask the question. It'll be so glorious, it won't be an issue. So. so, the next chapter deals motivation to live righteously. And so, we have wisdom from Paul, from Peter, from John. And so let me read that. I, I don't know if we'll get too far. I guess we won't finish the book tonight, but we'll come close to it. So I'll pick it up in January and we'll finish it off. But wisdom from Paul. By the way, you had a handout related to this, number 10. Because so I talked about this at the beginning of the class about consequences and how it should affect us to live righteously on handout number 10. But let me. Let me go to the verses that he refers to. Here's wisdom from Paul. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake up from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies or drunkenness, and directed not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So he says, the time is coming, it's getting closer. Purify your life. Don't be immoral. Don't get drunk. Don't quarrel. Don't be jealous. Make no provision for the flesh. 
to gratify his desire. You know, Jesus is coming. Wisdom from Peter, 1 Peter 4, 7 through 10. The end of all things is at hand, therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. So he starts us with the end of all things is at hand. So behave in such a way that you're self-controlled and sober-minded. 2 Peter 3, 10 through 14. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar. And the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire, and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth, in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish, and at peace. Again, talking about purified lives, lives obedient to him, with, with uh, not practicing sin. And wisdom from John, 1 John 3, 2 and 3 says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we will be like him, because we will see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Again, talking about a purified life, because we know we're going to see Jesus pretty soon. So, People say, well, prophecy doesn't have any practical consequences. It's pie in the sky by and by. But every time we see prophecy in the New Testament and it talks about it, it always says, because of what you see in Jesus' coming, you live a self-controlled life. Really, a spirit-controlled life is what we really should say. Live in a way that when he comes, you would not be ashamed. Live in such a way that you would glorify him. That's the consequence of prophecy because we expect him to return any time. I think it's uh, 1 John 2, verse 28. It says, A little children abided me. So, so when he returns, you will not need to be ashamed. 1 John 2, I think it's verse 28. You can look it up there. And uh, so it says we wouldn't want to be ashamed. We would want to be that. And then he talks about using our time wisely. And uh, so let me, let me finish up chapter 18. I'll just leave chapter 19. I'm almost done here with 18. He says in Ephesians 5, 15 and 17 through 17, Look carefully then how you walk now as unwise, but as wise, making the most best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So he says, make the best use of your time, knowing he's coming. Colossians 4, 5, conduct yourselves wisely towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Psalm 90, verse 12, so teach us to number our days that we may get our heart of wisdom. Knowing God's given us a set, finite set of days, walk in wisdom. Psalm 39, 4, O Lord, 
make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. In other words, make your days count for him. And then we have this handout, which we may not get to again. <laughs> and so you have a handout, it's called, I, I, I entitled it, uh, let's see. Lessons in Daniel. So I'll tell you what, we're really out of time tonight and we didn't get to really hand out 95 yet. So I, I put down the verses that I referred to there. So uh, I think I'm gonna stop there tonight since we're out of time. And when we come back in January, it won't take us very long to do this handout and finish chapter 18. And then we only have chapter 19. And again, it's, uh, it won't take us very long to get through chapter 19 as well. And so uh, still next time we get together, Lord willing, uh, the last chapter deals with motivation to live with an eternal perspective. That is, instead of just living day to day, we should look forward to where we're going to be in eternity with him. So let me go ahead and close tonight. And like I said, I'll, I'll send out an email. And uh, it'll, again, remind you when we're going to meet. I will be sending out a, a Word document that will have all the questions that are in the new book. If you want to look through the book and read through it or look at the questions at the end and so forth, feel free to do that. As usual, as I've done here, um, I'm not requiring you to read the book or answer the questions before you show up. I want you to be here, even if you get, didn't get to do the homework. So uh, if you didn't get a chance to get to the book, feel free to come. Just bring your book with you and your Bible, and we'll be good. So let me close in prayer for us. I want to wish you all a, a very Merry Christmas. Maybe a blessed one. I know you'll remember the reason for the season. And next time I see you, it'll be next year for most of you. So, and may have a great start in the year if the, and if, if the rapture occurs, we'll have a great start in the year, won't we? Great year. So let me close in prayer for us. Father, we thank you again for who you are and your sovereignty. Father, we thank you for your word and the mystery of your Holy Spirit. And thank you for being here tonight and help us to understand these things. Father, we thank you for the anticipation, the eagerness we have for your return. And Father, as we read tonight, I pray that you'd help us to live righteously in a way that would be honoring to you, anticipating that in a moment, in a twinkling of eye, it says that we'll be changed and we'll be with you forever in your presence. And it tells us in, in your word in Thessalonians that encourage one another with these things. And Lord, we are encouraged with that promise. In fact, your return is called the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you for that hope that we have in you. Father, as we leave tonight, we pray that you bring these things to mind during the season that we've talked about, but also, Lord, that you give us safety as we travel home. Father, we thank you again, give you praise and glory, and, and thank you again for who you are. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>